Hello and welcome, friends, to another edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, here on your community radio station. We are Forward Radio, WFMPLP Louisville, broadcasting from here in the historic Hayburn Building at 106.5 FM. And we live stream to the world at anywhere you are at forwardradio.org. You can tune us in, even if you're traveling over, over the holidays or anything like that. You can always tune us in at forwardradio.org and find all the archives of our programs, all of our local programs are archived there. If you uh, miss it, if you want to share it with somebody or catch up on what you missed, you can go to forwardradio.org. And in this season of giving, we need you to go to forwardradio.org. We rely entirely on listener contributions. Uh, and you can start off our fifth year of broadcasting here in 2022 right with a contribution today uh it only takes 20 dollars a day that to support the entire station so if we all chip in 30 people together pitching in 20 bucks could sponsor an entire month's broadcast wouldn't that be great and we also rely entirely on volunteers so maybe you want to help the station in 2022 this could be your year to help us out either behind the scenes or behind these microphones maybe you've got a perspective to share that isn't represented anywhere else in the media well this is your place go to forwardradio.org and click on participate today uh, i'm really excited here on sustainability now to have a new person in the studio that i get to meet i love i love that when i've got uh, new friends old friends are great too but 2022 is time to meet some new people and i'm really delighted to have a new bernheim field ambassador kenyetta johnson in the studio welcome to the studios of forward radio kenyetta Hi, hi. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah. I really, this is my first introduction to Ford Radio and you know, looking forward to keeping the connection and checking out some of your other work as well. That's great. Thank you. Welcome to it. Uh, Kenyatta is a UofL grad who majored in environmental analysis and got a minor in sociocultural studies from the anthropology department. And as a Bernheim field ambassador, Kenyatta is interested in getting more young people of color involved. So tell us about this position. When did it start and what are your, what are your goals? So the position itself is focused on diversity, inclusion, and outreach between Bernheim and the inner city of Louisville. So um, getting more young adults exposed to green and environmental careers, but also getting more young adults of color into the actual Bernheim space. Yeah. But in addition to that, we want to take this idea that Bernheim has, which is connecting people to nature and bringing that into the city. So whatever organizations, individuals and programs are in the city already that can or that already has this idea about what nature is and how they connect to nature. So Bernheim wants to help support that and help build more partnerships in the city because people don't always have to come to Bernheim in order to connect with nature. So uh, we want to like just help and support people connect with nature in their own way and whatever that might mean for them in the city as well. That is so great and so important and so important for a place like Bernheim to think about because it's not necessarily accessible to everybody, right? right. You pretty much need to have a car to get out there, right? Yes. There's no bus you can take to Bernheim. It's a real long bike ride. I've, I've always <laughs> wanted to do it. I would do it if there was some overnight camping I could do there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's a little tough to get to for some folks and not necessarily necessary that we go all the way to Bernheim to engage with nature, right? And, right. Um, Let's talk a little bit about that issue of why engaging with nature is so important, especially for people of color, especially for people in our urban core. Why does this matter? Well, 
a key factor that I think matters is well-being in a physical, yeah. mental, emotional sense. So having a connection to nature could be therapeutic. It can be a release for whatever traumas that you're going through. Um, and I feel like there are studies to prove that living in an urban environment, an urban setting can be really stressful and anxious ridden. But if you have a connection to nature, then you can go and sit outside and look at a tree or draw a tree or just do some gardening work. And it could be pretty therapeutic to the soul. I think so. <laughs> um, but also having exposure to like green spaces in nature, um, it deepens the connection and interest in maybe like a green job or doing something like a personal hobby of like gardening or if you want to be a horticulturalist, you don't have to have the title of horticulturalist, but yeah. you can go outside <laughs> and like identify trees and then make spaces like pretty and more beautiful. But then also you have an appreciation for land and the environment and you want to take care of it. You become stewards i feel like once you have that connection to the nature and to the land right it's hard to love something in the abstract right but <laughs> we really need to start loving on nature if we're going to have a way forward right because there's so much environmental destruction you know it's easy to pollute if you don't if you don't love nature right and so right. rebuilding those bonds that relationship with the natural world because we are creatures of nature right it, yes. it, we try to deny it and we try to create all these sort of artificial walls to keep nature away right right but, but we are we're animals in a sense right and and there is a lot to be learned from other species uh, and there's a lot to be gained i think from being in relationship with those species right right and even it could be as simple as hearing nature sounds. Yes. Yeah, so one thing that I've learned is a lot of people in an urban setting, they get a little freaked out when they go to like a, a park or forest and they hear all these weird sounds and they're like, oh, snap, what is that? Is it dangerous? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And it's completely normal, completely natural. But just that's a, a different feel, different sound that they've heard before. And they're like, oh, I'm a little cautious. <laughs> but if you if you get exposed to it enough, it starts to change and it actually becomes like you were saying earlier. Yeah, like normalized. It normalized way. and even therapeutic. Yes. Like hearing nature sounds. I, I heard a scientific study recently about how just hearing the sounds of nature can can help calm us down, reduce anxieties, right? Like right. it's somehow it's fundamental to our internal wiring and how we evolved yes. right we evolved in relationship with other species with wind and sun and like these things are so important to our health in so many ways that uh i think it's really important for urban urban denizens and so many people are becoming more <laughs> urban right like yes. people keep moving to cities and and there's fewer fewer people living out on the land in relationship to nature I wonder, too, if you could talk about this, you know, speaking from your own background and in your experiences, are there historical concerns about, you know, people of color and their relationship to nature or relationship to the land? I mean, for a lot of people, a lot of black folks look back on history and the, the only people they could think of who worked the land were enslaved. Right. I mean, is this is this also part of the historical trauma for people of color? Uh, is that the way that land is conceived as a, a, a scary place, a place of enslavement? 
I feel like there is a, a dualism throughout history with people of color, specifically like black folks in nature. So when a lot of African individuals were brought to America, um, from my understanding, it was predominantly for like agricultural right. means because a lot of Africans, they just navigated the land pretty well in Africa and producing fruits and vegetables and like all types of crops. So it was a huge asset to bring them over to the Americas to kind of like cultivate the agriculture. Right that was here in the Americas. So I feel like in that regard, a lot of black people and African-Americans have always been connected to land yeah. and connected to like food and fruits and gardening and just being outdoors. Over time, though, there has been restrictions placed um, socially, structurally, politically to remove a lot of African-American and black folks from nature spaces, um, right. like kind of the nature spaces that we would term today like botanical gardens, arboretums, and things of that nature. And a lot of these spaces had people of color and black people cultivating those spaces and beautifying those spaces before there was like a um, like more segregation in like nature-based mm. spaces. So I feel like mm. historically black people have always been re like really interested in the outdoors and really interested in nature-based spaces but when it um, like the times changed and it became illegal yeah. or problematic for like african americans and black people to be in those specifically termed nature-based spaces then i feel like the stereotype kind of evolved over like the century in the decades of like black people don't go outside black people right. don't go out in nature or black people don't swim and you know things like that but it's more so like black people weren't present in those nature-based spaces with those terms yeah. because historically they weren't allowed to be but in their own neighborhoods they were still growing their own fruits and vegetables they were still you know having their cookouts at the park right. and you know playing sports outdoors and you know climbing trees and all those things that people would associate with the the smaller connections with nature mm. they just weren't at like a public park but you mm. know back in the day like that was a no-go zone yeah. that was just taught throughout the culture because if you go you might get lynched or if you yeah. go like you're gonna have weird social interactions or just everyday people are gonna police you for being in the space but one yeah. thing I, I will say though like moving through history up until now a lot of that is changing um, because a lot of these policies and these codes for example of growing your own fruits and vegetables in your neighborhood like in your front yard a lot of those policies are being changed so the face of like black people and African Americans in nature and like those particular spaces outdoors have been changing as well yeah um, not that they haven't really been doing it historically up until now, but like they're they're getting stories shared about them and more recognition that they've always been doing these things and that some of those stereotypes aren't necessarily true. Um, yeah. Then again, there's like some truths and stereotypes, but <laughs> <laughs> there's always a grain of truth, right? It sounds like you're describing a process of sort of recovering our rich history and relationship to the land uh, and, and that this is a moment for it. But of course there's been all these historical issues of access. Boy, yes. and it's just heartbreaking to think about right here in Louisville, our parks, which are celebrated as like, what's great about Louisville used to be segregated. Yes. Yeah. I mean, a that, lot of them are still self segregating because of that. <laughs> isn't that interesting? Yeah. You still see ripples of that. Even I mean, it's just cultural or, or mindset now. Right. And that, <laughs> so Bernheim has a mission to get people connected with nature. Uh, 
how is the diversity piece and get specifically focusing on people of color? Has that always been part of the mission or is this something new for Bernheim? I honestly feel like this has always been something the staff has wanted. Yeah. Um, as far as actions go, well, I'm the only person of color, like within like our education, yeah. um, Arboretum staff that I know of. I know they've had like naturalists who are like of color, like um, Asian, Latino, African-American. And they had this one guy, he worked in like horticulture or something like that. I think he retired, but he was with them for like years. Mm. But um, as far as today, I think I might be like the only person of color on my staff team right now. And I know even since last year, they have always wanted to bring more of a diverse crowd into Bernheim itself. But um, as far as staff goes, I think they've, the staff always wanted it, but just in terms of getting that diversity, it's always kind of like this weird like situation because then you have to think about like credentials and then the commute and there's just so much to kind of factor in to get more diverse staff at Bernheim but um I think it's something that they've always wanted yeah yeah (laughs) and it's uh, yeah you're it's difficult you're breaking down these barriers and it's it's really exciting uh for those who haven't been out to Bernheim uh why don't you describe the place what is it like So Bernheim would be described as pristine (laughs) by a lot of people. (laughs) Very serene. There's lots of lakes there. There's an arboretum where you have specific section of trees like holly trees and oak trees. And then you also have lots of art because we really believe that like land and art and nature Mm. are all synonymous. So you can go and look at the Bernheim giants and different art installations that are there. And then if you want more of like a forested area we also have that as well if you go up like our forest hill drive is the main road that you could do hiking and different trails and stuff like that yeah it's massive too it's like one of the biggest green spaces around our region right yes i think it's like <laughs> sixteen thousand acres wow. but don't quote me on that wow. i've heard the number several times but <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> And it's people, pretty big. You can learn more about it, of course, and find out the events that are going on in 2022 at Bernheim. Just go to Bernheim.org, B-E-R-N-H-E-I-M.org. Uh, I'm speaking today with Bernheim's new field ambassador. Her name's Kenyetta Johnson, a UofL grad, majored in environmental analysis with a minor in sociocultural studies. And she, her role is to get more young people of color involved and in, in nature and in green career fields, too. You want to tell us a little bit about your personal experience with diversity in, in, in the environmental fields? Well, <laughs> when I um, transferred, so I'm not originally from Louisville. That's one thing. So I feel like when I lived in Georgia, there was always people, like brown people, doing any and everything that you could even imagine. So I right. never really thought about, you know, how diversity and inclusion was such a big thing. Because Interesting. You didn't even have to think about it. <laughs> yeah, because there's like... Especially in Atlanta and Decatur area, it's like nearly half of the population is people of color. And so you have about the same amount of like job careers and then some that Louisville would have. So it's not like seeing 
um, like a scarcity of like brown people in like environmental park career things like that. Um, but then when I went to Bowling Green State University in Ohio, yes, my major was geology, uh, yeah. <laughs> and there wasn't a lot of diversity there. No. But <laughs> I just never really like thought about it. I'm in Northwest Ohio, and I'm just excited my freshman year. Yeah. Um, but then when I came to Louisville, that's when I was like, oh crap! Like I am about to graduate, and I am the only female of color in my entire you know graduating class what yeah and then I was like okay you know things happen it's not like this degree and this career isn't really advertised in a way that would seem more inclusive mm. to other folks but then also I feel like especially here in Louisville it's advertised that you know, you go and be a doctor or a lawyer or yeah. you go and do something in economics if you're like a person of color or something like that. Yeah. Um, and instead of thinking, oh, you know, I grew up with nature, like this is an obtainable degree to have in nature or nature based education. And fast forwarding back to me being at UofL, I was like, oh, I really want a mentor so that I can know how to navigate yeah. this this career field when I graduate. And then I realized there weren't really <laughs> any mentors, especially mentors who could relate to me or, you know, yeah. uh, who who looked like me even. Yeah. And so that's when I started thinking a lot more about how this career field, like the environmental green field is, is still have the mentalities of when the entire like term of like environmental sciences and mm -hmm. conservation and all those things were created, which there weren't. Well, I feel like it wasn't inclusive when it was created. It was for right. like white middle class males to, mm. you know, preserve their country and their land, their nature and their space. And yeah. so I feel like that ideology has trickled down unconsciously yeah. up until today where it's just certain aspects of the career is just not lucrative or it doesn't seem like beneficial for like mm. people of color to join that field so it would be much more of a hobby than like a right. career right 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 <laughs> yeah uh man you're bringing up some great points uh, i mean i know the sierra club has been wrestling with its past and you know founders being pretty racist about their approach to the environment right like this <laughs> yes is, this yes. we want to preserve this space for white people right yes uh and so that is a that is reality of the, the environmental movement's uh history that we need to wrestle with and, and stare in the face and not yes not sort of ignore because <laughs> uh because we're not going to find a way to sustainability if we don't bring in people of all backgrounds of all colors right diversity is our strength yes. in sustainability it is our way out you know we we have come to this very unsustainable place because of things like racism and segregation and the whole concept of sacrifice zones like mm -hmm. pollution's okay if it's in certain areas right right, right? right yeah <laughs> <laughs> this has been the mindset for so long in america probably globally you could see similar issues right yes uh that i'm i'm so glad you're doing this kind of work because it is thank you i know it can be tough <laughs> <laughs> yeah being a pioneer in this space but it is so so important uh and i mentioned globally too and i know that studying and traveling abroad is something you really wanted to talk about so uh i served in the peace corps my time living abroad was so informative uh about sustainability for sure but about this um issue of uh global racism and 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 poverty abroad and all those kinds of issues uh but why has this been important to you Ooh, 
(laughs) (laughs) That is a loaded question. (laughs) Well, first and foremost, like I am obsessed with traveling. I love travel. It's just so humbling. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, And so when I go abroad, I always learn about like my own culture as an American and then my own. It's, the, it's how you be, realize you yes. are an American yes. is putting yourself in contrast. Uh, let me just tell you a real quick story. When I, when I was in the Philippines, I lived there for nine months Whoa. in 2001. Uh, I did a Fulbright over there to do my dissertation. Oh my gosh, I want to do Fulbright. Oh, after Fulbright's Peace an awesome program. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So all I did all day was interview farmers about uh, how they manage their land and, and their, the relationship to this broader sustainable development project that I was studying. Uh, uh, and one day, a friend of mine <laughs> just just mentioned to me, like, man, you really walk like an American. And I was oh. like, walk like an <laughs> Things American? Things we don't think about. <laughs> what does that even mean? And it just brought it all home. Like, oh, my gosh. I am an American. I didn't even, like, internalize that. In right. fact, a lot of me wants to, like, reject a lot of mainstream culture in America. So I feel like I'm <laughs> countercultural, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not an American. I don't drive, you know? <laughs> but but when you go abroad, people see you in that light. And, yes. And, and you learn a lot about yourself. Yes, like you really do. So for me, being a person of color in America, um, before studying abroad, I never really seen myself in whole yeah, <laughs> as like yeah. American first <laughs> and then my ethnicity heritage heritage second and things of that nature but when i go abroad like they don't care they're like you could be whatever complexion heritage national i mean not nationality but um you could be whatever yeah but when you're here you're american yeah (laughs) you talk like an american like you said you walk like an american uh so you're just american there and so for me i was like okay now it's coming together that you know where i actually live my nationality with my culture it's all just blending in now and i can see the 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 under level of being just an american and being like a person of color in america right. it's still i'm still just as american <laughs> as like <laughs> any other person um but one thing that i do love when i go abroad is their innovation and it's like the lowest level of just like some random elementary school kid and just the creativity and the just how they look at problems and how they see who should be responsible for these problems. Yeah. So here in America, we're like, oh, we voted for this politician to tackle all our problems. <laughs> but in like some of these other countries that I've been to, like, for example, in Nepal, they're like, oh, well, you're in elementary school and these are some some tough issues. But they're like, this is my way of life. This is my being like I'm having issues with my water. It's my responsibility to try to like change that with whatever capacity that I have and so they grow up and go to middle school and high school and they're still tackling these issues and then they go to college and they're like trying to make change like real change and so here in the U.S. we're like oh well we know this is happening but like it's it's a problem that's not in our backyard to say the least so we're like we know it's happening but we don't feel like we're being affected by it in any real time so we're like okay we talked about it that's cool we're gonna keep living our lives yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like when you go abroad they're like this is our life and like we're fighting for these changes like we're fighting to have like more justice and things like that and, and of course we do have that in like smaller communities here in the U.S. but I'm always really grateful just to see how especially with sustainability and environmental issues how how passionate (laughs) they are and just the way that they look at things so differently they're like Mm. i have this plastic and i'm just gonna Mm. 
transform it into something that's going to benefit the community and then just ha their outlook on everything that's global. I feel like when I'm here in the U.S., I only think about things on a local scale, mm. but they're always watching international news and <laughs> they're always so knowledgeable about everything that's going on in the world, <laughs> which yeah. when I'm abroad, I'm like, okay, now I know what's going on in China and what's going on in Paris and I'm not in either one of those places, but that's yeah. cool and I can see how it relates and stuff. So I try to take everything that I learn abroad and apply it to like right. who I am and what I'm doing in the US so I can be like more well-rounded and stuff. Right, right. I want to know about where else you've been besides Nepal. I, I did a little study abroad in Ghana and with a class. So there were a group of us. And the interesting thing was that the people of color in the group were the same term was used for them as the white people. It's Obruni in, in Ghana, which means white person. And they would apply <laughs> that to people of color because they're Americans, right? <laughs> you're what? They're like, you're Western. You're yeah. all Western together. <laughs> so where else have you been? Where else have you traveled? Yes, I went to Iceland. Oh, wow. I know. And I went in the wintertime and everyone was like, you're crazy. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I hear it's nice every part of the year. <laughs> and it was much cheaper to go to Iceland in the wintertime because sure. everyone's like, it's going to be super cold. It was actually colder in Minnesota than funny? it was when I was in Iceland. <laughs> yeah. And they've got nice hot springs. Yes, they do. They do. Everything's like geothermal. But oh, yeah. So I went to Iceland in 2017 wow. for a geography internship. Wow. And it was like going to a snow globe it was oh. so beautiful oh i've heard granted great we only had like five hours of daylight but <laughs> <laughs> there's but so use much, it to the max <laughs> yes there's so much light everywhere people have christmas lights and yeah. just all types of beautiful lights and then yeah. they have um like this glacier museum and it has this huge light at the top of it so it's it's lights everywhere so Ooh. you don't really feel like you're in the dark and everyone leave their doors open and they have their heat <laughs> from inside so when you're walking down these cobblestone streets it's not as cold as it wow. really is because the heat is warming the wow. streets and everybody's all smiling and everything huh? but it was really really nice i got to hike a glacier and everything and wow see tons of waterfalls and then after that i went to trinidad and tobago Ooh, wow that was really nice too this was was in 2018 and it was a pan-african studies like internship but i also did um hydrocarbons research while i was there oh wow and it was amazing it was kind of the feeling i had growing up in like atlanta decatur area because it's like half indian population and then like a half west african yeah. population so it's like 48 percent, and then you have like the two percent is um the term they use is like Mennonites, <laughs> Mennonites and Syrians and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so just going there and being around a predominantly population of color. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> and then I realized how my experience growing up is different from like my classmates who I went to who are from Louisville. And they're like, it was overwhelming. Mm. There were so many brown people. And I was like, where are the white people at? Oh, <laughs> and they wow, was like, yeah. And they were just like so like befuddled. And it's just like they liked it, but it was just too much at first. And it was like, wow, like they see people of color doing like amazing things wow, and just yeah. having that exposure and you know being able to look up to that and yeah. I was thinking like this is completely normal for me mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I'm like have I been privileged being a person of color grown up in a community surrounded by people of color mm. and so when we came back and they were like my classmates were like oh it feels like reverse culture shock because they automatically was like oh they're walking next to like a group of white people and they're like oh this feels different now or like maybe i'm like seeking into myself and 
they were just like kind of like this is so much different and now I feel like I'm the minority again and but for me I was like oh well you know I'm used to it because <laughs> like, <laughs> like I go like back and forth between like predominant communities of color and then like I live in America and now that I live in Louisville it's like you know being a person of color is a minority and things of that nature and so I feel like I navigate it yeah. you know a little bit better than than my classmates who have only grown up in this type of environment and then been exposed to that and coming back. So that was really interesting. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. And then right after that, in 2019, I went to Nepal for a summer. Wow. Freaking loved it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I still talk to my classmates from Nepal, and I still talk to some of my classmates who were um, from America. So it's people from all over like California to Maine to yeah. Kansas, like all over. And we went on this trip and it was predominantly geography, geohazards and geology and geosciences. Oh, wow. It was so nice. Nepal's we backpacked like most study, of the man. time. Yeah. yeah. We would do like eight mile hiking every day. Wow. We would go to one little town and then we would hike to another town. We'd eat lunch and then we would hike to another town. Wow. But in between that, we would... Um, like analyze the different hazards that might have formed so like with flooding and landslides and earthquakes but we would also look at the different rock formations so we were in the himalayas and mm. it was just really nice knowing that the himalayas are still being formed it's yes. definitely tectonically active and we got to walk over that fault line and we got to look yes. at it and it was just really really cool the scenes i mean like the sites the scenery is just so amazing like being in the mountains <laughs> that was my favorite part being in the mountains and yeah they're different culture depending on where you go so like in Kathmandu, it's very diverse oh yeah it's like really diverse um and now that i think about it it's like predominantly like brown people yeah. <laughs> people of color there too uh, but it's really really diverse and then as you go up like out of the valley a little bit you get like a different variety of like Nepali culture and then you go like to the middle-ish kind of section of the mountains and then you have like seemingly more Indian Hindi culture and yeah. then like when you get up into the mountains it's more of like Sherpa Tibetan type of culture and it was just really cool to just travel through all of that right. and it's pretty great wow what yeah. a bunch of experiences and now you're applied to the Peace Corps. Yes. But, oh, but, oh, wait. I went to Belize, too. Oh, you skipped Belize? <laughs> yes. Belize was, like, I was like, how did I forget this? So, like, um, this was this was an interesting uh, study abroad. So, this was in March of 2020. Wow. Right as right that pandemic as was, was boiling. <laughs> so, this was an international service learning project through UofL's communication department. And we went yeah. to facilitate an environmental education lesson plan in Belize. Um, it was Independence Belize, and we taught it like, well, I don't want to say taught, it was more like facilitating um, in Independence Belize and lived in Dangrika, which is this. Um, predominantly West African, West Indies population wow. living like on the coast. And oh, it was so great. That's what actually inspired me to apply for Peace Corps. Um, 
just being in that presence in that space and just so many great minds and just hearing all these different ideas that people have to some of these environmental issues and hearing what's important to them because it is not synonymous. (laughs) So at first I'm like, well, everybody cares about, you know, global warming or everybody cares about like water. And then like you go to um, like when I was in Belize, they're like, oh, well, we have issues with broken glass. And um, then that ties into reduce, reuse, recycle and like upcycling and just all those great different things. And that's just one example. Um, And so when I was there, the U.S. actually shut down for the pandemic and we were in the middle of facilitating our lesson plans. Mm -hmm. And then all we hear is like a shout. (laughs) <laughs> from my class everybody hear a shout and we're like what is happening what's happening and then like some other UofL uh, students teaching their own classes like running down the hall and they're like UofL is closed the US is closed like oh my gosh what are we gonna do We ha- they say we have to like evacuate what are you gonna do this was like the day before we we're gonna leave so we actually got bad. lucky yeah. right yeah and so we're all like freaking out and um, so I had some classmates who lived on campus and they couldn't even go back to their dorm rooms wow. and they like couldn't pick up their car that was parked on campus yeah because like uofl had shut down they weren't allowing like nothing wow and so they were freaking out they're like what am i gonna do like i live there and you know my (laughs) family lives like in missouri or something and like how am i get to missouri and so like everybody's freaking out and we're like there are no COVID cases in belize and people are like stabbing folks over toilet paper and fighting (laughs) over water and we're just like oh my gosh what has happened to our country our country's in mayhem like and then like after this happened like that same day some of the students are looking at us like do y'all have COVID? like we hear your country's in turmoil right now like and we're like we're in Listen, we don't have COVID. We're we're on the same page as you. We've been here for like a whole week now. We don't know like oh, what's happening. That's a great story. I know. And then everyone's talking about the airport. And then like one of my classmates like took a plastic bottle, chopped it up, and like had like a face shield on. <laughs> like, yes, it was because we remember were, like, those days when we didn't know what we were doing. We were doing. freaking yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> making our own PPE and stuff like that. That's yes. Cool. Wow. I'm speaking today. If you're just tuning in with Kenyatta Johnson. She's the new Burnham Field Ambassador working on getting more young people of color involved. And we've just been having a great time going down the, the rabbit hole of study <laughs> abroad. Those are some great stories. Um, I want to turn to the issue of, of young people specifically and in getting young people in nature. You know, there's so many generational shifts and that we talk about like the people who are digitally native, right? Like people like me born before the internet existed, you know, (laughs) versus people who's like born with a, you know, smartphone in their hand kind of thing. Uh, How has that affected young people's relationship to nature? Do you think? I feel like being born in the digital age has giving young adults and young people more exposure to like nature-based education and things happening all around the world related to environmental issues in nature, but through the lens of technology, not actually, yeah. yeah, not actually being able to get out and feel and connect and explore these things versus, um, I was born in the 90s. I don't know what categorization that is. Maybe (laughs) Gen Z or whatever that might be called. But um, when I was younger, my parents would be like, go outside and come back when the street lights are on. And so that's the the environment and community that I grew up in. Like, 
we didn't have to worry about some weird stuff happening <laughs> while we're outside because we were like a community. So if we were out on the streets doing something, like neighbors would be like, hey, that's not cool. Or, you know, come inside yeah. and do something. Or like, it's getting late. I need to go inside. Yeah. Um, and so in doing that, we would always go to parks. So like me and my right. siblings, I have three other siblings. And then I have God siblings as well. There's like five of them. And so we would just go and explore the community. We would go outside and we would see different things or like we would see litter and be like, oh, okay, well, that's not cool. Or we would go and play at a park and be like, well, these are all the things you could do at a park. We would cook Mm. the mud pies and like play in, in that sense. And I feel like that part of young folks going out and exploring nature has been dwindled or halted because of technology. Mm. Um, And so a lot of people are just looking at nature from their phone and their computers, but also they're looking at other ways to be technologically advanced and do things like that instead of going outside and just sitting outside. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so that connection is, I feel like, weaker for a lot of the younger folks today. Um, But with the pandemic, a lot more young folks went out there, like outside and just try to explore and see what's out there because they were like, well, what the heck else am I going to do? (laughs) And then they was like, oh, we love this. I like, you know, planting things or I like going to the river or I like just sitting and reading my book outside because technology just became too much. You know, you have school on your computer and then you have to do work and other stuff on the computer and then you watch YouTube on the computer and (laughs) social media on the computer and a lot of young folks was just like, I'm overwhelmed now. (laughs) So I just need a change. And that change for a lot of people during the pandemic was just going outside. More people were walking. Our parks were flooded with people, right? Yeah. Because they was like, what else am I going to do? Exactly, (laughs) exactly. So now, I mean, how do you, um, how do you make space in your own life for no screen time and getting connected with nature. Like, what do you do? What are your tricks for just your daily life? So my daily life... Um, (laughs) is it still rare (laughs) well like I work at Bernheim but I have a hybrid schedule so I work from home on some days and as we move through the month of December I work from home a lot more yeah and I'm seeing that being outside in nature is becoming more of a like a challenge or I'm falling back into the same patterns before I had a job in in nature and things of that since so what I try to do is go to the park, <laughs> but it's kind of, it's, it's a little bit a ways from me. So yeah. it would be the Iroquois park. Um, oh, nice. But I live closer to U of O. So I'm like, eh, I could get <laughs> on the bus in the code and go there. And so long story short is I, I try to force myself to either like go outside on my porch yeah. or go to Iroquois park or just get outside in any form of fashion so if it's running errands and i'm like okay i'm gonna be outside but i'm also gonna take time to enjoy being outside of my house because i feel like i don't necessarily need to be in a green space to enjoy the outdoors and as far as technology i've never really been a big technology person i don't really watch tv yeah Yeah. (laughs) so i try to do puzzles and uh read books and tasks like that or if I have free time I try to be social uh, because my social skills have gone down since the pandemic so I'm (laughs) like okay how do I rebuild my social skills which sometimes just involves me getting out of my house and chilling and talking with a friend or you know stuff like that I'm not really on my phone that much either Uh, 
my emails come to my phone, so that right. makes me on my phone right. a lot more. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, boy, it sounds like you and I have a lot in common. Uh, I don't have a TV either. Like it's just, it's, just, it's so important. I think to to just do some things with my hands that helps yes. me like ground myself, whether it's gardening or sewing or just yes. something like bike maintenance, things like that really help me just center myself. So, yes. Yeah. Well, we're nearing the end of our time and I haven't even really asked you about the work you do as a Bernheim field ambassador. So what does that work look like? What kinds of things are you engaged in? So to date, I do a lot with our education team. So a lot of nature-based education and going out to communities and presenting to them like what is Bernheim or like who is Bernheim, who am I, um, what might be the importance of representation and diversity within yeah. the green field and you know, what are some things that they're interested in and what might be some obstacles that they feel like keep them from nature because um, yeah. There's been research done and, you know, Bernheim has this idea of like what, you know, obstacles it might be like transportation or whatnot. But like going into these communities, into these organizations and individuals and being like, well, what truly is the issue? Is it a physical um what's the word I'm looking for? A tangible, is it a tangible obstacle? Or is it like, is it a cultural mental thing that's keeping you from connecting with nature? And if that's the case, like how can we move forward in, mm. you know, addressing it? And then how can they address it for themselves? Because it'd be more sustainable if they did that for themselves instead of Bernheim coming to them and right. doing the research and then trying to solve that, right. that <laughs> issue for them. And one thing I can say with doing this outreach research and work that I'm doing is, it takes time. Yeah. I want it to be immediate and it's right. just not. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. You can't just like change people's minds in an instance from one right. or like even three um, like connections and outreach and things of that nature. Like it's a shift that has to happen in yeah. the young adults and in their parents as well. And a lot of parents are coming from a different perspective and connection to nature which has led a lot of young adults in Louisville to be disconnected from mm, nature. Right. Um, and so yeah. it's, it's a process that <laughs> it's going to take time. Um, so like one example would be how national parks have, um, they remove the whole policy and segregation of like national parks and stuff, but still it took like two decades in some places even more to actually see people of color enjoying those spaces. So right. like they did all this research and they presented it to the world and they're like, this is no longer a thing. We just like <laughs> broke down that wall and now anybody can come here and enjoy the space. And yes, they said that, but still it was like mental, cultural, um, yeah. like shift that needed to happen hmm. for the people themselves hmm. and things like that for there to be actually change. Yeah. Well, I love the approach you're taking. It sounds like you're doing a lot of listening and problem solving, which is going to yes. make you a great Peace Corps volunteer someday. <laughs> Yay. Hopefully soon. I'm still waiting. Like, still waiting. But how do you identify the, the communities and groups that you go talk to and what, like what kind of groups are you talking to? So, um, Bernheim has this program called the Louisville, well, it's not like a Bernheim. It's a collaborative program between Bridge Kids International and Play Cousins Collective. Nice. And they had a list of organizations and people that I could potentially start with. Okay. And so I went down that list and talking to people, you always know that there's other people and organizations that they know of that can help. Um, so I've done a lot of just 
talking to oh so let me rewind so the Louisville Rites of Passage is for young adults of like African American or black um, descent or culture and things of that yeah. nature and so they had a lot of information on how to get in contact with the like the black and African American youth through programs and individuals and so I looked at all that I started talking to other people from that list and then I worked at Youth Built Youth Built Louisville in Smoketown in which they support a lot of people of color in um, Mm -hmm. non-traditional education Mm -hmm. and so I was program assistant for that and I got a lot of connections with you know different organizations in the city that way as well so I added all of those to the list and just listening to other suggestions that people have. Yeah. And people have lots of suggestions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It snowballs, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. And youth feels so great. I mean, talk about like a place where people can learn green job skills, really, you know, yes. basic skills. Uh, it, it's wonderful campus they've got over there in Smoketown, too. So uh, I'm glad you're working with them. That's perfect. That's perfect. Well, we're at the end of our time here, just leave us with what are some of your goals going forward? What do you hope for in 2022? <laughs> So, goals. One of them, hopefully, to get into the Peace Corps finally. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But as far as Bernheim, I'm really hoping to elevate the voices of people of color yeah. in relationship to nature and their connections to the environment. And one opportunity that I have in February for Black Heritage Month is to orchestrate and put some stuff together. So, I'm excited to see um, how it's actually going to gonna play out yeah so i'm gonna try to find a lot of um like african-american people like who's local to louisville and just how they are involved in the environment and nature and kind of present some of that history that black people have in louisville with nature and nature-based spaces and gardening Um, and i really want to allow people to come to Bernheim as internships. Nice. Um, so the position that I'm doing right now is contracted and I'll need someone after me to like fill that position. But just having Bernheim, well, just allowing people to come to Bernheim for a paid position or a non-paid position, I feel like will help get more people into green and nature-based environmental positions. Yeah. So. Hopefully, I could help get that started. Well, that's as well. awesome. And if any of our listeners want to reach out to you, can they find you at Bernheim.org? Uh, or how should they perhaps. find you? <laughs> <laughs> um, if they go to the website, uh, I believe there is a section okay. for all of the t- teammates. Okay. So I might be there with my information, but if they wanted to reach me, um, they could call into Bernheim and someone will refer them to my phone number or my email. But also, you could just reach me at kenyetta.johnson at bernheim.org. So K-E-N-Y-E-T-T-A dot J-O-H-N-S-O-N at Bernheim. And I will put that email address <laughs> in the program notes for our show on the podcast version. You can find it at forwardradio.org if you want to follow up and get connected with Kenyetta Johnson, the new Bernheim Field Ambassador, working on getting young people of color involved. It's been such a treat getting to know you, Kenyetta. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Good luck with your 2022 goals and Yay. getting into the Peace Corps. I'm sure we'll talk more later. This has been great. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. All right. Stay tuned, everybody. Coming up in just a second, I got your community action calendar with all kinds of ideas for how you can get engaged in sustainability this week. So stay tuned, my friends. Flow like a river to the sea Knowing it's all in you and me Our whole world
we are back here on Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, listening to the sweet sounds of Appalachian below me now. Many thanks to them for giving us permission to use their great local tunes on all of the local broadcasts we do here on Forward Radio, which you can find archived the podcast versions at forwardradio.org. Well, I hope you've got your pencils sharpened and your 2022 calendars out, my friend. This is the year, the year to take action for sustainability. Why don't you kick off the year right by pledging to do something green Way back in 2020, for the 50th anniversary of Earth Day, the Louisville Sustainability Council officially launched their Do Something Green campaign. It includes a virtual pledging platform, an extensive online resource library, and a community roundup program to aid in the development and implementation of the new microgrant program to help fund local environmental projects throughout the city. Individuals, households, and businesses are all encouraged to take the pledge to do something green in 2022. Just go to louisvillesustainabilitycouncil.org and click on uh, Do Something Green in the upper right. Also, maybe this is the year for you to get involved in regenerative cooperative economies in Louisville. What a great year to join the Louisville Compost Co-op. Did you know that you can join the only residential collection service in Louisville that will pick up and compost your food scraps and organic waste for just $20 per month? Residential members will receive a weekly bucket pickup and drop-off at their home, as well as access to the quality compost produced by their own food scraps and the peace of mind that comes with diverting your food waste from a landfill where it would otherwise produce methane, a supercharged greenhouse gas. Uh, In their first year, they collected over 10,000 pounds of food waste, and it has only grown since then. You can join now at louisvillecompost.com, or you can dump your compost for free at the community composting site that is hosted by the University of Louisville at 250 East Bloom Street. It's a large lot used for UL grounds and maintenance work, and the compost bin is at the back of the lot. Details on how to join are at louisvillecompost.com. And the other thing I want to remind you about is the importance of joining the Louisville Community Grocery. It was way back in 2015 that a small group of us community members and food justice advocates concerned about the epidemic of downtown grocery store closures and the lack of access to fresh healthy food we came together with a mission to open a community-owned grocery store we've been exploring the possibility of a cooperative grocery to serve louisville's urban neighborhoods what started as a shared belief turned into a mission to open this community-owned grocery store through a cooperative business model we've worked with community members uofl and neighborhood organizations to research potential locations and services for the community grocery We've held community events and begun outreach campaigns to educate the community about cooperatives. Today, we're still working hard towards our goal of opening a store, and we need your help to get there. Individuals, households, and local businesses can become co-owners of the grocery today. 
to help us open the doors to food justice tomorrow. Standard lifetime ownerships cost just $150, and if you have economic barriers to ownership, you can choose to pay in five installments of $30. And if you're a senior over 65, a youth under 25, if you're unemployed, disabled, a SNAP or EBT user, or systemically disadvantaged, you may purchase a subsidized Advantage share for a one-time payment of $25, no questions asked. Advantage shares have all the same benefits of ownership as the standard price shares. And if you have enough to pay it forward, when you become a member, you can purchase Advantage share members for other people to subsidize their membership in the co-op. You can learn more and become a member or volunteer today at louisvillecommunitygrocery.com. Now, coming up uh, January 17th will be the last day to apply for the Spring 2022 Neighborhood Institute brought to you from the Center for Neighborhoods. It's a no-cost leadership education program designed to equip, equip neighborhood leaders with skills and resources needed to initiate positive change in the community in 2022. It's a fantastic program. You heard about it when we had the Center for Neighborhoods director on this program just a few months ago and dinner will be provided at each of the sessions they'll be every thursday from 6 to 8 p.m for 12 weeks at the center for neighborhoods offices and that all starts on january 27th so space is limited and applications are now open through january 17th you just need to go to center for neighborhoods org to learn more about the Neighborhood Institute. And you can also call them at 502-589-0343 to learn more about Center for Neighborhoods and their Neighborhood Institute. What a great year to do it. Also, now's the time to get yourself registered for the upcoming Kentucky Conservation Committee's annual legislative summit coming up on January 23rd. It's a Sunday. It'll be virtual this year, again, from 1 to 4 p.m. KCC's annual legislative event is always packed full of information about the upcoming General Assembly. Please join us for a Sunday afternoon interactive Zoom session on key conservation and environmental issues paired with additional online resources to provide you with all the necessary advocacy tools that you will need during the 2022 Kentucky General Assembly and beyond. These sessions will include a broad look at the anticipated topics of the 2022 General Assembly, related federal legislative issues, basic training on ways for citizens to engage as a citizen lobbyist, plus tips on how to be more effective with your legislative advocacy in a virtual world that is still struggling with the pandemic. And we will also be covering a wide range of issues such as energy issues, solar updates, and environmental impacts of cryptocurrency water, waste, and toxins, including water infrastructure and plastics incineration, wildland updates and farmland conservation, biodiversity issues, and state budget, uh, and the overview of the state budget. Included will be an overview of bills that are already filed with the General Assembly or anticipated to be filed, along with KCC's analysis and recommendations for action. In addition, they'll be reviewing federal initiatives that are ripe for local action and emerging conservation issues right here in Kentucky. Sessions will include additional online toolkits and opportunities to speak directly with lawmakers and issue experts on a range of conservation topics. The keynote for this year's conference coming up on January 23rd 
will be Kentucky's Energy and Environment Secretary, Rebecca Goodman. Secretary Goodman was appointed as the state's top environmental officer in December of 2019 by Governor Andy Beshear and has spent more than four decades in service to the Commonwealth. She'll be sharing her thoughts about the state of the environment as well as opportunities coming out of recent federal funding that can be used to support state environmental initiatives. More exciting guest speakers will be announced soon. Get all the details and register now. Space is limited for this virtual event. It is free for everyone. You don't need to be a member. Just go to kyconservation.org and register for the Sunday, January 23rd, 1 to 4 p.m. virtual Kentucky Conservation Committee's annual legislative summit at kyconservation.org. Another deadline to apply that you might want to keep in mind is the Louisville Sustainability Council's micro-grant program, offering grants to support innovative entrepreneurial projects and programs to plan for the impact of climate change on our most vulnerable citizens while supporting community equity and resilience. What a great thing to do in this new year is to plan a project that you can get funding for through the Louisville Sustainability Council. The deadline to apply is February 28th. Recipients will receive between $500 and $5,000 towards their project and will have access to Louisville Sustainability Council events, programs, mentors, and the opportunity to partner their work with the Louisville Sustainability Council initiatives. To, re- to apply, you need to be someone in the Louisville metro area, including individuals, institutions, businesses, and nonprofit organizations. Students and entrepreneurs are particularly encouraged to apply. Each submitted program or project must directly align with climate change, equity, and or community resilience. The proposed activities must largely take place in the greater Louisville metro area. Projects can be new or existing, but preference is given to projects that are innovative, impactful, and and sustainable. The LSC is particularly interested in supporting local projects or programs that have shown early signs of success and applicants must complete the online application by the deadline of February 28th, including a proposed project budget and timeline. The Louisville Sustainability Fund supports projects or programs with a mission to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, improve air quality, preserve natural resources, aid in ecosystem rehabilitation, strengthen community connections, create an equitable present and future, promote environmental education and literacy, provide a model for financially sustainable conservation, demonstrate resilience in the face of climate change, leverage grant funding to multiply the impact and reflect the vision and mission of the LSC. Again, this year's submission window closes on February 28th with a notification of award on April 1st. Full details and application are at LouisvilleSustainabilityCouncil.org slash sustainability fund. That's LouisvilleSustainabilityCouncil.org slash sustainability fund. And that is all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I thank you all so much for tuning in. I hope you're pumped up for a great new year in 2022. And I look forward to being back in your ears next week and every week of 2022 right here on Forward Radio. See you then, friends. Me abrazas, me hieren, me cur-